Welcome to Celebration Church. Good to have you here with us this morning. I want to welcome all those who are joining uh, via video uh, down in the cafe and those of you in Stevens Point over there. Lots of people who also watch us uh, on television, the internet. Uh, actually, more people see us via video than actually can fit in this room at any given moment. So it's kind of exciting. We're one church, but lots of people get a part of that uh, with all the different locations and stuff that we have. We're glad that you're all worshiping with us today. Uh, This morning I want to uh, uh, bring a message to you, a very simple message that I've entitled The Mouth, The Heart, and The Hands. Now the Bible uses the analogy uh, of, of the church and we're all members of the church. Every one of you are members of the church. And Paul often used the analogy of we're like members of a body. In other words, uh, we make one body, but we all don't have the same role. There's different roles. Some people are the eyeballs, some people are the fingers, some people are the arms, some of you are the gizzards and whatnot and stuff. And, and that's okay. We don't all have to be the same. In fact, uh, here at Celebration Church, we celebrate the fact that you don't have to be the same. Everybody here doesn't have to look the same. Everybody here doesn't have to think the same. Everybody here doesn't have to vote the same. We're not a bunch of robots that everybody has to agree on every little single thing in the Bible together. We're just not about that. We believe in the basics. We all encouraged, you know, the basic truths that we can all agree on. But beyond that, we just, we allow for all kinds of stuff. And we celebrate the diversity. I think the power and the strength of this church and this organization and all of those, uh, whether you're in a campus or, or uh, here, uh, is our greatest strength is that we're different. We don't all have to be the same. And it's wonderful and fabulous. And uh, so I use this analogy of, of the body uh, thinking about uh, how to share our faith. Now over the last uh, month, I've heard, there's been a lot of talk, conversations about the best way to share your faith with others. How, what, what's the best approach? And uh, as I was thinking this and, and talking to people and kind of debating these things, I thought, well, you know, I can use this analogy of the body and we can break everybody down pretty much into three categories. You've got the mouth, you've got the heart, and you've got the hands. And that's going to be our analogy. These are the people who uh, are actively trying to affect the world with the kingdom of God. You're either a mouth, a heart, or the hands. Or if you don't do anything, you're a butt. You sit around and don't do anything. Don't... Don't be a butt, all right? To be one of the other three. That should be the title of my sermon. Don't be a butt. Anyway, uh, (laughs) assuming you're not that, let's let's put you in one of the other three categories. And I want to take a look at uh, where these three break down. Let me explain them to you. First of all, first of all, we have the mouths. These are the people who are by nature very vocal about their faith. These are the people that uh, they're fabulous, wonderful, high energy people. They're not afraid to proclaim the, to the world around them that Jesus is the answer for the sin problem in their lives. And uh, fabulous people. And it's certainly biblical. Jesus told us, uh, in fact, one of the last things he said before he went up into heaven, we read it in Mark. The Gospel of Mark, he said, uh, go into all the world and preach, proclaim, tell, speak the good news to all creation. In Romans, Paul writes this, talking about the importance of speaking your faith. He says, how, how can people call on the one they have not uh, believed in? And how, they can, how can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? His argument here is if you don't open your mouth and tell people what you're about, uh, you're ultimately not going to help them in terms of sharing with them this wonderful gospel message that we have as Christians. 
Then the next category, I call them the hearts. These are the people who are much more relational in how they approach sharing their faith. These are the ones who are much more careful to try and win people to themselves before even trying to win them to Jesus. Is that a biblical approach? Well, in point of fact, we find that it is. In 1 Peter, uh, Peter writes this. He says, live such good lives among the pagans. Those are people that don't have God in their lives. Among these pagans, though, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So live those kinds of lives that people will notice. Uh, he goes on a little bit later and says, in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have and do it with gentleness and respect. So be ready. Be ready to talk. Now obviously uh, the first ones they're just proclaiming. They don't wait for the opportunity. They just go for it. And these other ones are living the kind of lives that people ask about. Wow, why are you the way you are? Why do you process the information that you do? Why, why do you live differently than everybody? Else? How, how do you stay so calm in the midst of the storms of life and, and all this stuff? And, and whenever people ask about you in this way... These are opportunities that God is giving you to share why you live the life that you live. Um, uh, and certainly the encouragement is not to hide it. You know, someone comes to you and says, man, you seem so at peace. Why is that? Don't go, well, because I'm having a good day. You know, don't do that kind of thing. We've all wussed out like that at some time. But this is opportunities for you to say, you know... I can stay calm because of of God's love in my heart. And and the more they ask questions, the more you can have an opportunity to share your faith. Um, Jesus certainly talked about that uh, in Acts where he says, um, again, this is just before he ascended into heaven. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. A little bit different than just witnessing. He didn't say, you're going to go witness. He says, you're going to be witnesses. Paul says that we are uh, like epistles, read of all men. We're, we're open books that people can look at and examine and see. It's talking about being a witness in your faith, the way that you interact with people, the way that you're kind uh, towards them and, and love people, even when they're not being loving to you, and really in spite of the fact that they're not loving to you. Um, and then we have the final group. These are the hands. Now, these are the people who believe that the gospel really is only truly advanced by helping those that are in need. Feeding the hungry. Housing the homeless. Clothing the naked. This, these are people, they, they put, you know, shoe leather to their faith. And, and they think, this is how we do it. Is that a biblical approach? Uh, in fact, you'll find this also is a biblical approach. In Matthew, Jesus is talking to his disciples about the coming judgment day and what that's going to be like. And we read here, it says, when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory and all the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right hand and the goats are going to be on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, these sheep, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, I didn't really belong here, but yet you you invited me in. 
I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came in and you visited me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of these least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. And as you read on, he also goes through the same list with the goats. And he says to them, I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was naked, you didn't clothe me. I I was sick, you never visited me. And, and, And they'll say to him, when did we see that? And the same answer, he says, when you saw others in this condition and didn't do anything for them, you didn't do it for me. And, uh, and of course their end is not a very positive one as he banishes them away from him uh, in eternity. So uh, as we look at these three uh, approaches to preaching the gospel, a lot of the discussion I've heard bantered about is, well, which is the right way? Which is most biblical? You know, la, 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 la. Well, first let's consider this standard that the Lord gave us. And we see it in the, recorded in the Gospel of John when he's talking to his disciples. He says, you did not choose me. I chose you. Alright? You know, we often say, you know, I found Jesus. Well, no, Jesus was never lost. He found you. Alright? And he says, and the reason he founded, found you and appointed you was to go and to bear fruit. Have results for your life. Fruit that will last. Uh, and then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. So, as we've already established, all three approaches are wonderful, they're great, they're good, and they all have their uh, basis in biblical thought. But what I want to do this morning uh, is, is to encourage the mouths and the hearts and the hands to learn from each other. Again, as I've walked into conversations and heard people debating some of this, I thought, you know, we need to learn and respect each other and, and so that we can become more balanced in our approach. Bottom line, you'll always be who you are. God's called you to be who you are. He's not trying to make you something that you're not. In fact, when you try to make people something that they're not, it's always a disaster. It's always a failure. The result is never good. Be who God's called you to be. But learn, listen, adjust, and grow. You say, why why is that? Because the problem is the mouths, the hearts, and the hands, they, they really don't like each other very much. They criticize each other. The, the mouth gets on the hearts for wussing out and not having faith. The hearts yell at the mouths, you're obnoxious and you're freaking people out. And the hands think they're both full of baloney because neither of them do anything. Well, the Bible says this in, in Hebrews. He says, let us consider how we may spur one another. The King James Bible says, provoke one another. Now we're often very good at provoking people, but it's not just provoking for the sake of provoking. He says, provoke one another to love and good works. Spur one another towards love and good deeds. So what I want to do this morning is in the interest of producing fruit that remains, I want to spur you and provoke a whole bunch of you this morning um, to, uh, to become balanced in your faith and in your approach. Why? So you can be the most effective. Ultimately, at the end of the day, You can say, well, I'm right, and this approach is right, and that approach. All I ask you is, what's the result? 
Are you bearing fruit? Are you being productive? Is what you're doing working? Or are you just spending energy? Well, let me uh, start by uh, taking some spurring and provoking it at each one of, of you this morning, each one of these groups. We'll start with, with the mouths. Um, uh, again, continue to be who you are, but just realize that hammering people with the truth is not always the most effective approach. The truth, quite frankly, the Bible says uh, the law, the letter kills. Talking about the truth. But the spirit gives life. Does that mean that you can't have the truth? No, you need the truth. And if there's anything that we have suffered from in Christianity over the last decade or two, is Christians who have been so relational conscious, they never tell anybody anything. You hear these preachers that get up and just preach about God just loves everybody. Can't we all just get along? And, and they don't even preach the Bible. They're talking, you know, let's preach on global warming and why we should be concerned. I think I'm in Green Bay. I'm not concerned. <laughs> you know, just all these things and so you know, la la dancing around and trying not to offend anybody about anything. Well, you're not doing anybody a favor there either. You've got to Tell people the truth, the reality of what we're faced with in terms of our relationship with God. This is serious stuff. We're talking about eternity. We're all going to face that. If you live long enough, someday you may die. And we're all going to be faced with this. This is serious stuff. So this 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 isn't a game. But again, just taking truth and hammering people with truth doesn't help them. In fact, it can wind up pushing people away even though you were right at the end what is the fruit we need to have fruit that remains God is into productivity he's not into just hammering people with the truth if God just wanted to tell people the truth he could just you know right across the sky hey you're all going to hell alright not the most effective way of winning people okay truth you need to be kind it's like if somebody comes up to you and they say look at my baby and it's the ugliest baby you ever saw Should you tell them the truth? Or give them love? Yeah, you should give them love. You know, you may not, you might be so ugly, all you can say is, now that's a baby, wow. You know, I mean, what are you going to do, right? So what? I got to be really honest with you, ma'am. That, that, I just, I love God. I'm born again and I'm, I'm motivated to speak the truth. And that there's the ugliest baby I've ever seen. Praise God. Would you like a track and come to my church? You know? No! Who doesn't want to come to your church? Why? You're a jerk. You're mean. That's harsh. And it hurts. It's all about the truth. Well, you know, yeah, it's about the truth, but we need to balance it. Okay? Paul said this. He said, look, I become all things to all men that by any way I can save people. That's what they're trying to do. And in fact, again, those are the people, that's the argument they use for people who never tell the truth. I think they swing too far. They swung too far to the We've got to balance it out. We've got to tell people the truth, but it has to be balanced with grace. Truth and grace. That's what the Bible talks. Jesus was the epitome of truth and grace. He had the truth and he had mercy at the same time. And, and, and in Christ, these two opposing viewpoints kiss each other. That's the beauty of Christianity. That's the wonderfulness in Jesus. And that's what we need to strive to be. Paul often 
would do whatever he could to try to relate to people. Probably the best example of this is found in Acts, the 17th chapter, where we read one of Paul's sermons. And in this particular situation, Paul is in Greece. And he's in the, uh, the Areopagus, which is this big, you know, temple. There's still, it still stands pieces of it. When you see pictures of Greece, you see that big temple. That's where he was at. And this place was a heathen temple. These people would worship uh, you know, gods and demons and all kinds of stuff. They would come in. It was, it was a basically a satanic type place. And they came uh, and they would sacrifice to these idols and give money to these idols and bow down and worship uh, things made of stone instead of the living God. And it was quite the mess. Well, in Acts 17, we read this. Paul stood up in the meeting of the Arachipagus, uh and, and cried out and said, Men of Athens. You see, Paul was a mouth. <laughs> Hey everybody, I see that in every way you're very religious. Religious, give me a break. They're a bunch of heathens. The truth is, they were being idiots. The truth was, they're praying to nothing. Right? He could have said, got up and said, hey you bunch of morons. You're just praying to sticks and stuff and rocks. They're not going to do anything for you. Well, not the most popular way to advance the gospel. Plus they probably would have killed him. But here he is in the midst of this. By the way, a lot of Christians would have got on his case for even being there. You know, you shouldn't be in a place like that. What's the matter with you? Praise God, I'm a born again believer. I don't go nowhere except church. And I just have nothing to do with them bunch of heathens. You want to come to my church? No, you're a jerk. You know, you're mean, you're nasty. And they would have gotten on his case because he was in some place where most Christians wouldn't think they ought to be. In the midst of all these heathens. And he gets there and he calls them all together. And then he says, you know, as I walked around and I looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Now think of this. These guys had so many idols to so many different kinds of gods, more than they could count. And then he finally said, well, you know, let's make an idol to the God we don't know. So he says, I I, I notice you're very religious. You know, he's being nice to them. Very religious. But I see here the idol to the unknown God. This is not what you worship as something unknown. I'm going to proclaim to you. So he starts to tell them about God and about Jesus Christ as the unknown God. Now a lot of Christians there would have you can't do that. You can't. That's that's idolatry. That wasn't about Jesus. That was about something. Just chill out. He was using an opportunity to point them in the right direction. See, that's different than people who everything's got to be true. It's got to be right all the time. Black and white, black and white, black and white. Well, black and white doesn't help people. The letter kills, the spirit gives life. You can read the whole sermon later if you want. But let me jump to uh, uh, verse 28 where he's going along. And Paul says, he starts talking about this God, this unknown God. He starts describing him as the creator of heaven and earth. And he's, he's starting to work them toward Jesus. And he says, for in him we live and move and have our being. And then he quotes to them, not from the Bible. In fact, not one time during this sermon does he ever quote the Bible. And I know a lot of Christians who would add a cow with that. You can't get up there and just, what's the matter with you? You need to open a word and give them the word. Yeah. I believe in giving people the word. But again, you got to be smart about how you approach these things. What he gets up and quotes instead is one of their own poets. As, as some of your own poets have said, and then he quotes some, I don't know if it was a song or a, a, a reading or whatever, we are his offspring, referring to God. And I'm sure he wasn't talking about the Christian God, but he was finding a point of reference that they could understand. 
and he keeps preaching to them. And he goes on and on and he gets to the point where he's talking about, you know, people need to repent and they need to turn to God. And when he got done, uh, it says a bunch of people laughed at him, said, what, a, what an idiot. Uh, but then there were a bunch that said, I want to learn more. And they came and they became believers in, in Jesus Christ. And he was proclaiming the gospel. So again, even Paul, a guy who understood the word, understood right and wrong, understood righteousness and not, he still balanced it all in a way that people could understand. All right, let me prod you hearts a little bit. You wonderful, sweet, relational people who sit around and smile and love people and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, learn something from the mouths. You need to open your mouth and share your faith when God gives you the opportunity. Don't be a bunch of Melanie Wilkes. Y'all ever see the movie Gone with the Wind? How many of y'all saw Gone with the Wind? Anybody out there? Some of you geezers like me. But it was a great movie. You ought to see this movie. Fabulous movie about the Civil War and stuff like that. And uh, uh, Melanie was, the the, the heroine in the whole thing was uh, um, Scarlet. I called her Charlotte in the first service, like, but that's Charlotte the pig. That's a whole different thing. But, uh, <laughs> wrong movie. But, uh, Scarlett, uh, was constantly trying to seduce Melanie's husband and steal him away from her. But Melanie was this loving Christian woman. She's the most Christian woman through the whole movie. And even though she knew what she was up to, always was kind to Scarlett. Always was accepting of Scarlet. When everyone else in the community wanted to shun her, Melanie would walk across the room and she would welcome her into their dwelling in Wisconsin. This lady was, the, it's a great movie to watch about being a witness and loving people and accepting people. She's an incredible example of Christian love. The problem was she never said jack squat to anybody about anything. And I'm sure Scarlett would have been a lot better off if Melanie would have shared the gospel with her, you know. So so don't just be the the nice, loving, kind person who's afraid to say anything. Uh, You've got to be able to speak into people's lives. Like Paul says, people can never believe if they don't hear. At some point, they've got to hear. Uh, And when someone asks you about why you are the way you are and, and, and why you're so kind and why you don't get angry and, and you wave at people instead of flipping them off and, and uh, you know, that kind of... This, these are opportunities for you to share your faith with them. And uh, you don't have to, again, hammer them with the truth in, in, in uh, you know, the next five seconds. The mouths will tell you you have to, but uh, it's okay. You know, but at least say something. You mouths need to chill a little bit and be a little bit more relational as far as I'm concerned. Let's get a balance going here. And then we've got the hands. Now the hands, these are wonderful, 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 wonderful people. And uh, these are the ones who really get down in the dust with people. And they help people. They love people. They give financially people. More than financially. Money, actually, that's an easy thing to write a check. These are the guys who get down there and actually feed them. Actually clothe them. Actually Give them a place to sleep. That, and we've got some wonderful ministries in the church here that, that do that. But uh, these are the people who really live out their faith. And I'll tell you what. We all need to learn more from those guys. Christianity in the end, if it's just about what you feel and think, is not enough. Remember what Jesus said on Judgment Day. The final thing. Judgment Day is about what you do. That's ultimately what it's about. We're going to be lined up and we're going to see what we did. You know, 
And, and those people say, well, you know, Lord, I, I really felt it. Ah. Well, Lord, I really believed it. Ah. It's not going to help you out. Now, obviously, you've got to believe first. You know, you've got to put your faith in Christ. But if you don't do jack squat, you're headed for a very bad day on that day. We need to get our hands dirty with people. And we've got to love people and care for people. Christianity has always... Uh, uh, thrived when when people will reach out in faith and love the unlovable. Sadly, 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 in uh, the last hundred years, I'd say, at least in this country, the church has done an abysmal job in this area. When we have opportunity to love, we have opted instead for black and white and, and not loved. Uh, and... Uh, you know, I'm a real history buff, and I love looking in history and reading history and watching history things. Um, you know, this will be a shock to you, but do you know who a lot of these guys were at the turn, turn of the century, last century, that went around uh, with white hats and white garb and burning crosses and stuff like that and hating Jews and blacks and Catholics? They called them papists. You know who a lot of the guys were? You know who they were? A lot of them? Bible-believing Christians. God help us. These are good old boys. Went to church every Sunday. Read the Bible. Now, not the smartest boys in the world. I got to tell you that. How anybody can hold a Bible written by Jews that worships a man who was a Jew, born of a Jewish woman, and written by apostles who were all Jews... And then say, praise God, I'm a Christian, I hate Jews. Not the brightest people in the world. (laughs) Where was the church when during World War II, our nation was rounding up everybody and anybody with slanted eyes and throwing them into concentration camps? In this country, we did that. You don't hear a lot about it. So that's security. Brother, we had to do that for security. Yeah, sounds like those who want to crush illegal immigrants because of security. It's kind of interesting. I'm not sure of how many Mexicans have blown things up in this country. But where was the church when they were rounding up Asians and putting them in cars? Americans robbing them of their homes and their livelihood. Awfully quiet. It's... Where was the church when blacks were fighting for for rights, voting rights and stuff like that? Sadly, most Bible-believing churches were against the voting rights of African Americans. We have a, a horrible history in the last hundred years in this country. And what breaks my heart is, is today the moral opportunity we have to reach out to people and love people who are being ostracized because they've committed a misdemeanor. That's what a violation is, uh, uh, an immigration violation, is a misdemeanor. Look it up. It's not a felony. It's a misdemeanor. And listening to Christians saying, we're going to get these people out of here. I read some nitwit in the newspaper a few days ago. said, praise God, we need, we're Christians in this country. We need to be able to put up statues of Jesus downtown whenever we want. And point number two, we need to get all these immigrants and throw them out of the country. 
Christians, what a lovely vision of kindness that is. We have an opportunity to supersede all of these things and walk in love towards people. Say, well, the issue is complicated. It may be, but I'll tell you what's not complicated. Hate and love, not complicated. We can be loving, kinding, forgiving. We've got these people running around, running for president. One of them, a born-again Christian. His plan is we're going to give, if I'm elected by president, praise God, I love Jesus. And if I'm elected, I'm going to give illegal immigrants 120 days to get out of the country. That's lovely. 15 million people, if the Christian gets in, what are we going to do? Herd them in onto trucks and buses and trains? and That's like 10,000 people an hour. Breaks my heart. The thing I love about the hands, these are the people who are into social justice, about doing the right thing, helping people, helping them. They don't care why you're poor. They don't care why you're homeless. They're going to find a place for you. They don't care why you're hungry. They don't judge you. Well, if you just got a job, you wouldn't be hungry. You know, the people with the hands, they don't care. Are you hungry? Come here, I'm going to feed you. You don't have a house? I don't care why you don't have a house. Here, we're going to find a place to put you. The hands. We need really all three working together. You are who God has called you to be. You are who by nature. I'm not trying to make you into something that you're not. What I'm saying is, let's not have these arguments among the three. Let's learn from each other. Why? So we can be as balanced as we possibly can. Why? So that ultimately we can be the most effective we can possibly be. Because in the end, it's not about who was right in their approach. In the end, it's about have you been fruitful? And has your fruit remained? You might be in a relational, I'm all about relational evangelism. Yeah? How many people have you won to Jesus in the last five years? None. What does that say? Well, I'm a truth beater. I just tell them they're all going to hell. Okay, but how many people have you won to Jesus? Well, not, not, not one. Maybe not many. Well, I, I just, I feed the hungry. Okay, great. That's wonderful. It's good. You heard me just praise that. I'm all for that. But how many people have you won to Jesus? Well, well none. See, ultimately, we need one another. We need all of the approaches so that we can balance each other out. Why? So that we can really affect people's lives. Somewhere in the midst of all of these working together. We have the most balanced approach. So that we can affect people. Why? So they will look at us and say, you know what? He told me the truth. But he lives it. And he loves me. And he was kind to me. And they helped me when I was hurting. This is the kind of stuff that gets the world's attention. And people say, Why is it that you're that way? And it attracts people to come to hear the gospel. And then they surrender their lives to Christ so they can be part of this glorious, wonderful experience. I'm going to ask our ushers to come and uh, get ready to serve communion and our musicians as well as we get ready to wrap the service up this morning. Uh, I hope you're hearing me. I love all of you. Mouths, man, I'm a mouth. I'm I'm one of the loudest mouths I know. I relate to being a mouth. But I've also learned 
I got to be relational as well and learn to temper truth with mercy. And I'm learning to be more concerned about those who are in need and are hurting. That's why you hear me preach about this stuff. You know, it really breaks my heart. Even now, the church is unusually silent about the plight that I just talked about. And as I travel around the country, I meet pastors and Christian leaders all over the country. Every time I bring up this subject, you know, every one of them agrees with me. I've yet to find one pastor who says, you know, you're, not, you're, you're wrong. They're saying, yeah, you're right. The way we're treating these people is not right. We've been complicit. This nation has been complicit. We've helped create this problem. Just hating them and throwing them out overnight is not the right answer. But none of them will say anything. Not a one of them gets up and preaches it. Everybody's so afraid, you know. The bottom line is we need to do all these things so that we can affect people for the kingdom of God. Well, this morning you've heard us a lot, talk a lot about sharing the gospel. What's the best way to share the gospel? You might be sitting there saying, what is the gospel? What does that mean? Well, the word gospel means good news. It's that simple. That's what it means, good news. Well, what's such good news? The good news is this, that even though you've sinned, even though you deserve to go to hell, even though you might be the meanest, nastiest person, the good news is that you can have forgiveness. That's fabulous news. When you think about the light of eternity, the good news is, man, we can find Christ. We can have our sins forgiven. We can get a do-over, man. We get everything reset in God. How is that possible? Because of what Jesus did. And that's what we celebrate in communion. The body and the blood of Christ was sacrificed for us so that if we put our hope and our trust in Him, we can have forgiveness and have new life and enjoy this wonderful spiritual experience called Christianity. It is life-giving. It is life-changing. It is empowering. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. You can be as nice as you want to people all day long and feed the hungry and the poor. And if you still don't get this basic, it still doesn't help you. You've got to start here. And I'd like us all to bow our heads in a word of prayer this morning. And if you have never taken that initial step of putting your faith in Christ, I'm going to ask everybody to pray this prayer with me and invite you to join along with us. And if you pray this prayer and mean this from the bottom of your heart, you can start your initial step in faith by experiencing the good news that God loves you in spite of you. And that you can have this gift of eternal life by putting your faith in Christ. Let's pray this together. Say, Dear Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. That you loved me so much. You went to the cross and took my punishment. I ask you to come into my heart and forgive me of my sins. I now surrender my life to you. Amen.